Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I want to give a shout out to YouTube. The amount of audience that this show now has on YouTube is frankly extraordinary. And I'm going through reading the comments and I told Sagnik, who is our esteemed social media producer at Outkick, that I'm going to start doing YouTube-specific shows for you guys because the loyalty that you've shown to me, we're approaching, I think, 300,000 YouTube subscribers. Um, And obviously, this show is on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on audio. I appreciate however you are watching or listening to me right now, and certainly I thank you for your time. But the amount of interaction, feedback, extraordinary support that we have on YouTube is blowing my mind. So I want to thank all of you. I want to tell you to hit the like button. I want you to subscribe. My kids are YouTube fanatics, and they pay attention to how the show is doing on YouTube. And every now and then, one of my clips pops up on their feeds, and uh, and they are super excited. They don't watch television, really. They go on YouTube. And so uh, they tell me that I need to tell all of you to click like and to subscribe. Uh, and so I thank all of you that are watching this right now on YouTube, and I am going to do YouTube specials. That is things that you will only be able to find from me on YouTube. You need to search out OutKick. You type in my name, Clay Travis. Boom, you go subscribe. And uh, we're going to have some fun on YouTube. But thank you for everybody out there who is supporting this show in such massive numbers. Also, I don't even know how TikTok works, but I was looking at TikTok the other day and our social media team has been putting up some of the clips from me on TikTok and millions of you on TikTok are now watching those clips as well. So uh, I can't even keep up with all the different ways that people are, uh, are subscribing and watching and consuming all the different content that we do at OutKick. Uh, but I want to say thank you for all of the support on whichever platform you are presently watching this show. All right. Opposite of support. NBA ratings for their All-Star game have tanked and hit an all-time low. Just 4.59 million people watch the NBA All-Star game on Sunday. And I think what you are seeing is a combination of several factors, but the foremost among them is the NBA allowed its brand to be destroyed by going woke. That's the reality. That's the facts. If you go look at when the NBA's collapse began, it is when LeBron James decided that he was an anti-Trump Hillary Clinton supporter wearing his stupid safety pin on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine That's when the NBA went from Republicans buy sneakers to to NBA action is fantastic to alienating tens of millions of people that otherwise would be fans of the NBA. And it's manifesting itself in the ratings. This is important. The NBA is collapsing worse than any other sports league uh, if you look at all-time lows being set. And they're also getting the benefit of a rig job, which almost no one talks about. They started counting out-of-home viewing, and it's bumped up overall viewership 
for sports by about 10%. And for people out there who don't understand what that means, it means if you're out at a sports bar and you are watching a big sporting event, they now are counting you as a part of the overall ratings. You weren't ever counted before. So when we're talking about 4.59 million people watching the NBA All-Star Game, uh, that is with a 10% boost. So it's more like 4 million based on the old numbers. That's less than half the number of people that used to watch the NBA All-Star Game. It's a pinprick compared to the number who watched, in, for instance, the Jordan era. And for people out there who say, well, sports have changed a lot since then. No, no, no. The audience for the Super Bowl has actually grown since the Jordan era in basketball. That is, more people today watch the Super Bowl than watch the Super Bowl in the 1990s. The NFL has grown its overall audience for its biggest, most signature events. The NBA audience has plummeted. It has collapsed. And it continues to decline. And so, woke factor is, I believe, the single most important one. Secondarily, I think that the fans recognize players don't care about the success of the league anymore. You go back and read sports history. Magic, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, John Stockton, Carl Malone, however you want to phrase it. Those guys understood that they were growing the game in basketball. And in 1998, Game 6 of the NBA Finals, which took place in Salt Lake City, just like this All-Star game did, was the most watched basketball game in the history of basketball. Game 6, Michael Jordan, Utah Jazz. The audience since that game for the NBA Finals is now down 75 or 80% from the audience that watched back in 1998. I think that Adam Silver is the worst commissioner in any of our lives who has gotten the most praise because the NBA media is overwhelmingly woke and they applauded things like move the All-Star game out of Charlotte because of the transgender bathroom bill. They applauded taking the players' names off the jersey and writing random social justice warrior slogans on the back of the jerseys instead. And what Adam Silver has done is spend all of the capital that the NBA had built up from the David Stern, Michael Jordan era, and now they have moved into a recession of the NBA audience. And I don't know how they're going to build it back. I think, frankly, it's going to take LeBron James retiring and then moving on from the entire LeBron James era because he has been immensely destructive to the overall legacy of basketball. And I think certainly the hypocrisy of the NBA factors in here too because even people that don't uh, mind the woke politics necessarily, they recognize the hypocrisy. When you are lecturing America about how awful America is and you are taking money from China Uh, where they have concentration camps, when you are taking money from the Middle East where they can still behead gay people, and you are lecturing us about how we handle transgender bathroom issues in this country, I think it strikes many people as hypocritical, and as a result, they are tuning out of your product. Final thought on the NBA. I think this is a danger for listening to the siren call of social media because the NBA 
has paid attention, instead of people who actually watch their games, they've paid attention to people who watch highlights on Instagram or watch highlights on social media, TikTok, whatever it is. And they don't recognize that those people, by and large, are not fans of their game. And so they're allowing uh, people who are dilettantes, people who would never sit down and watch a 48-minute NBA basketball game, to drive their coverage and they're turning off real fans in the process. And I know I said final thing, but I also think this goes in with the players. As soon as players start to not show up for games and say, we just don't want to play 82 games, fans are going to tune out as well. And I think it was Charles Barkley who said, if you don't, if you're healthy and you don't play in an NBA game, you ought to have to sit in the concourse and sign autographs and pose for photos that entire NBA game. And I agree with him because if you are a parent out there or you're a grandparent or you got a godson or goddaughter and they have a favorite basketball player, I have been in this camp before. You may not have very much money and you decide that you're going to spend your money so that they can watch their favorite player come through your hometown and it's a birthday present or it's a Christmas present and you might only be able to afford to go to one game a year, right? I've been there. I bet a lot of you have been there too where you sit way up in the upper deck and you keep your eyes on whether the rich people in the close seats are going to show up or not and you kind of see whether or not the ushers are going to be aggressive about checking to see if you have a ticket to see whether you can move down closer to the court or closer to the uh, the the, the stand, uh, closer to the field, I I that was my youth growing up, sitting in the upper deck, oftentimes with my dad, and hey, we hope that we're going to be able to move down and get better seats because some of the people that have the expensive seats don't show up, and maybe you got a lazy usher, or you just got an usher who looks the other way and doesn't try to shame you by asking for your ticket stub. I've been there, okay. If you're one of those parents and you're one of those kids and you go to watch your childhood idol and that player just says, ah, I'm going to take the game off. I'm not going to show up today. That hits the brand of the NBA. It really does. Because you got people spending their hard-earned cash to come watch you perform. And I'm not talking about if you're actually injured. I'm talking about if you've made the decision it's an 82-game season and you're only going to play in 55 or 60 of those games because you're trying to preserve your body, I understand. But ultimately, you're an entertainer. And if you show up and the main attraction is not there, you feel cheated. You really do. And I think that has really become a massive attack on the NBA's brand as well. The players are so well-paid, and they're so arrogant, and they're so condescending that they aren't willing to put on a show for the paying customers. And so I agree with Charles Barkley's perspective on this. I think if you don't show up and you're healthy, you should have to go sit on a concourse somewhere and sign autographs and pose for photos the entire game. Uh, Because if you're not healthy enough to play, uh, but uh, you're basically a healthy scratch, you still should be an entertainer because people are paying to see you. Uh, So I think all of that is conspiring. I think it's the woke by far the most, but I think the NBA under Adam Silver has destroyed its overall brand. Uh, I can't believe this story. 
Maybe it has changed while I am talking to you. There's always the possibility that stories are breaking. Brandon Miller, who is an elite talent for the Alabama Crimson Tide at basketball. Uh, yesterday, news broke via testimony that at 1.30 in the morning, and I think I have a screenshot of this text message that I want to read to you. At 1.30 in the morning, according to Darius Miles' defense attorney, Darius Miles was the Alabama player who's been charged with murder. Uh, Miles texted Miller, Brandon Miller, at 1.38 a.m. the morning of the shooting. Again, this is 1.38 in the morning. I need my joint, a N-word, just got a faking. Now, look, I am told, all right, joint means gun, and uh, just got a faking, I'm reading from this, they're faking, which means they were threatened, right? Uh, and they said, uh, they said, yes, I looked it up, it's an urban dictionary. At 2 a.m., thereabouts, there was a shooting. So Brandon Miller got texted at 1.38 a.m. from his teammate, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I need my gun because somebody has threatened me. 1.38 a.m. He could have texted back, hey, leave. <laughs> Bro, you're drunk. It's 1.38 in the morning. Go to bed. Stay out of trouble. We're in the middle of the season. Instead, Brandon Miller got in his car, drove this gun to his teammate, parked his car in a way that blocked the exit of this individual in the car, and then Miles' friend got the gun and went and fired five shots into the car, killing a mother of a five-year-old little boy. If Brandon Miller had simply not responded to this text, that mom of this five-year-old would still be alive. If Brandon Miller had simply responded to his teammate's text from 1.38 in the morning by saying, get out of there, you don't need a gun, you don't need to have any kind of confrontation, we're in the middle of the season, make a smart decision. If Brandon Miller had left the gun in his apartment and driven there and picked up his teammate and brought him back home, that woman would still be alive. Brandon Miller made a decision to bring a loaded handgun to his teammate when he knew that the teammate was both drunk and feeling threatened, meaning he was bringing a weapon late at night after everybody had been drinking to a corner of a downtown street. That was negligent behavior. That was behavior that was reckless. In my opinion, that was by Brandon Miller in conjunction with leaving his car blocking the exit, according to reports, of that street. That was criminal behavior. Okay? I don't know why he didn't get charged. I suspect it's because he's a star basketball player and he was being protected as a result of that. That's my theory. That's my surmisal. Most people, I think, would be charged with an accessory to a crime at minimum for that behavior because of the reckless and negligent behavior 
in bringing a loaded handgun to a teammate at 2 a.m. in the morning when that teammate has said he needed his gun because he felt threatened. Okay? At a minimum, I am stunned beyond belief that having seen these facts in the light of day, as occurred yesterday, that Nate Oates, the head coach of Alabama, that Greg Byrne, the athletic director of Alabama, that the university president of Alabama would allow Brandon Miller to still be a scholarship representative of the Alabama men's basketball team is a failure on all fronts by the University of Alabama. And some people who are Alabama fans, who are pretty much the only people defending Alabama at any point, have been sliding into my DMs and they've been sending me angry emails and they've been saying, how dare you have this opinion? Oh, you just have this opinion because you're a fan of X or Y. No. My opinion's pretty clear. If you engage in violent behavior or you aid and abet violent behavior that leads in a death, in a murder of an innocent mother, you should not be a representative of any athletic program in the country, period. This is an easy call. And if Nate Oates or Greg Byrne or the University of Alabama president knew about all these details beforehand and still allowed Brandon Miller to play, I think they should all be fired because their judgment is not strong enough to allow them to be the leader of men. And if you are making a decision, and I'm speaking specifically to Alabama fans right now who are by and large behaving like a bunch of ignoramuses on Twitter, okay? If you are defending Brandon Miller over this, you're an embarrassment. You are an embarrassment to college fans everywhere. Because what you are trying to say is you care more about your team than you do the life of an innocent woman that one of your star players helped to take. And I've been saying this for years. Imagine what your response would be if this happened at Auburn. Every Alabama fan on the planet wanted Cam Newton to not be able to play for the Auburn football team because he allegedly took $180,000 or maybe more in payment to go to Auburn the year that they won the national championship. How can you be convinced that Cam Newton shouldn't play because he might have gotten improper benefits while simultaneously defending one of your players who aided and abetted in the murder of an innocent mom. That, my friends, is indefensible. And what I ask so many sports fans all the time to do is imagine that your most hated rival engaged in the behavior that your players did. What would your perspective be? If an Auburn star basketball player did everything that Brandon Miller did and he was still playing, every single Alabama fan on the planet would be talking about how dirty Auburn is. If a University of Tennessee player did it, if a University of Florida player did it, any Alabama rival, Ole Miss, LSU, you name it, Texas A&M, Texas, soon to be Texas, any of those schools had the exact same fact pattern in play, Alabama fans would be the first ones to talk about how dirty it is. 
I frankly find it shameful of the University of Alabama, the way they've behaved here, and the fact that they keep having to put out new statements claiming they didn't know about these facts. Well, now you do. The facts are out there. And let me also just say this. I love the idea that some of you Twitter lawyers are like, you're going to get sued. Bring it on, brother. Do you think that I'm afraid of getting sued for telling you exactly what I think? Especially when it's rooted directly in fact? Do you think that I am afraid of whether people are lined up to support me or not? Whether you love me or hate me? I've never in my life given an opinion and given a flip whether anybody supports me or not. I tell you exactly what I believe and I do it without fear or favor. So let me tell you this, Alabama fans. You guys are not only embarrassing yourselves, you're embarrassing your state, you are embarrassing your region, and you are embarrassing your conference. What Brandon Miller did is indefensible And the fact that he is still on scholarship and still, frankly, even able to enroll at the University of Alabama is a disgrace. And anyone defending him is a disgrace, too. Roll Tide, bitches. That's the truth. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Georgia Bulldogs, sticking in the South, are not able to go visit the White House, evidently. One of their players tweeted out that they have not received an invitation to visit the White House, despite having won the national championship last year and this year. I went on Fox News and talked about it earlier today, and I find it to be a really intriguing situation. The only theory that I have, and actually it was a theory of Ainsley Earhart on Fox & Friends this morning, She asked, well, could this have something to do with Herschel Walker being a legendary Georgia Bulldog player and also having been running for a essential Senate seat and they didn't want to give any positive connotation to the Georgia Bulldogs? That's the only thing I can think about. Otherwise, Georgia is in theory a state that Joe Biden, if he is running in 2024, absolutely positively probably, has to win to be re-elected president. So why in the world would you be alienating that relationship and not doing anything associated with that? To me, it is nonsensical, and I would love to have an answer from the Biden White House about why the Georgia Bulldogs aren't invited to visit the White House. Because they certainly should have been last year, still haven't gotten it, and they haven't been this year. And oh, by the way, I am one of those people who believes that if you are invited to the White House, regardless of who the president is, you should go as a member of the team that won a championship. I've said this for my entire public career, whether it was George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, uh, whether it was uh, right now Joe Biden, if I were invited to the White House, for any reason whatsoever, I would go. Now, I'm fortunate to have gone to the White House. I'm fortunate to have interviewed Donald Trump there. 
I'm fortunate to have gotten to go and sit at the Resolute desk and get my picture taken there in the Oval Office. I don't begrudge how awesome that is at all. I think Joe Biden has been an awful president. If he invited me to the White House to talk about some issue, I would go. And I would share my opinion as a citizen. And if I were a member of any championship team, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, uh, NFL, college football, college basketball, whatever it might may be, I would make the trip to the White House to visit with the president. I want to know why Georgia hasn't been invited. I think it's shameful if it is in any way connected to the politics of Herschel Walker. Those kids deserve an opportunity to go visit the White House and get to meet the president for both last year and this year as well. Uh, Speaking of the president, Donald Trump running for president in 2024. He is right now in East Palestine, Ohio, or at least he was. Uh, So far, Mayor Pete Buttigieg has not made it to East, uh, uh, East Palestine, Ohio. He is the Secretary of Transportation. Joe Biden is all the way across the Atlantic in Europe. He fell going up the stairs in Poland to board Air Force One a little bit ago. I would imagine he is somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean in Air Force One right now. To me, Trump visiting Ohio is the single best component of Trump's 2016 campaign, now translated six years later to Ohio. This election, I'm going to talk about it till I'm blue in the face, all throughout 23, all into 24, this election, you tell me who's going to win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, and tell me the margins, and I will tell you what is going to happen in the election. I don't even need to know the other 47 states. Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. The Midwest, the Big Ten, you may not win very many national championships in football, but you're definitely going to decide who the next president of the United States is. And this is about America first. This is about the Midwest as the heartbeat of Americana and Trump getting to East Palestine to deal with this train derailment and the subsequent uh, explosions and poisonings and everything else that has been associated with it before any high-ranking member of the Biden administration can get there is one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win, of Donald Trump's 2024 campaign so far. So I think this is a huge win giving the attention to the forgotten man and woman in Ohio, in the Midwest. I think it's a huge win for Donald Trump. Uh, Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell said that Ron DeSantis wouldn't allow the teaching of slavery or uh, the teaching of uh, the post-slavery reconstruction in the state of Florida. It was a total lie. She now has come out and tried to clarify the lie that she spread in her interview with Kamala Harris. And I give credit to the Ron DeSantis team because of the way they are responding to this issue. And I would encourage all of you to respond in the same way. You cannot presume in any way that the media is honest, that they are going to be fair, that they are in any way calling balls and strikes and being otherwise Uh, unbiased. They are liars, by and large. And this is from Brian Griffin inside of the uh, DeSantis team. 
to all bookers and producers reaching out to our office from NBC News and MSNBC. This is our standard response until Andrea Mitchell apologizes and your track record improves. There will be, and this is a quote, this is from their statement, there will be no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its affiliates until and at least Andrea Mitchell corrects the blatant lie. Um, and we will not speak to anyone at NBC or MSNBC until those lies are corrected. That's how everybody should handle it. You guys know that I love uh, Carrie Lake and the campaign that she ran in Arizona. Carrie Lake, I think, was gold in the way that she handled the media. Every single interaction that she had, she recorded. I will not speak to a member of the media. I'm about to do it for a podcast at Mediaite. I will not do it unless our staff is recording every word that I say. Because I don't want to talk to somebody for 30 minutes or an hour and have them take three sentences from that conversation and turn it into whatever story they wanted to write before they ever talked to me. I'm happy to talk. I talk for three hours every day. I talk on this thing. I do countless interviews all over the country. I'm happy to tell you exactly what I think. But I'm not going to allow someone else to pull a sentence or two out of an interview with me and use it in a preformed narrative that they want to write. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think and I'm going to make sure that all of you who care can hear exactly what I say because I don't want far left-wing, agenda-driven, propaganda-based media to take whatever I say, twist it, and try to turn it into something that it is not. Speaking of that, the New York Times, after three years, has finally published an editorial saying masks don't work. Hallelujah, three years late, You've been watching and listening to this program. May well have gotten us censored on YouTube, got us censored on Facebook, got us censored on Twitter. I've been telling you for years that the idea that you could wear a mask and pull it down while you drink or pull it, uh, wear it while you walk around in the restaurant and take it off as soon as you sat down was kabuki theater. It was cosmetic theater. It was all a lie. And finally... People are sharing with you the truth inside of the New York Times. Uh, And right off the top, the most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks was published late last month, and it proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that there were no benefits to wearing masks, not even indoors, not even in 95s, if you are a mask wearer, you are an anti-zealot, anti-science zealot. You are a moron, okay? And if you're still wearing masks, you are even more of an anti-science moron. And remember last year? It was actually coming up on two years now, year and a half ago. I went to my local school board and I said in Williamson County, Tennessee, on behalf of my kids, this exact truth that there was no evidence masks were keeping anybody safer from COVID. In Davidson County, which is to the north of where I live in Williamson County, they required masks. In Williamson County, they didn't. 
there was no difference in the rate at which kids tested positive for COVID. Same thing in Orange County, same thing in LA County, two neighboring counties if you want to go out to California. Overwhelmingly, the data has proven for years that masks were nonsensical and there was no basis in scientific reality for them. It's taken three years for the New York Times to even publish an editorial on its opinion page like this. It's coming also with the COVID shots. I have been right on all of this, speaking to you for years. The reason why my audience and OutKick's audience has skyrocketed is because I don't tiptoe up to telling you what the data shows or what my opinions are. I don't really care if you agree or disagree. But I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. And that is now why OutKick has tens of millions of readers, why our podcasts have tens of millions of downloads, why the audience for all of our programming is continuing to skyrocket, and why my book that is going to come out in September will be a bestseller. Because there is a desperate demand for authenticity and truth and most in the media are not serving it to the public. And massive amounts of the audience out there recognize the lies. You realize that the narrative has trumped reality and all you are begging for is someone to tell the truth. You know, uh, Morning Consult did a poll while I was out in uh, while I was out in uh, in Super Bowl, and they polled all these different sports figures, and they assessed what their overall favorability rating was. And your boy here, who is always labeled controversial, every time that I have an article written about me, they say controversial, provocateur, Clay Travis. I don't think anything that I say is controversial. I actually think I am speaking to 75 or 80% of normal people on a day-to-day basis, okay? Um, So I don't even think anything I say is remotely controversial. And the data reflects that the public overwhelmingly agrees. Do you know that I am more liked than Stephen A. Smith, according to this morning console poll? I am more liked than Skip Bayless. I am more liked than Colin Cowherd. I am more liked than Dave Portnoy. Now, I respect all those people. This is just the list that the Morning Consult put out. But how often do you hear, for instance, Stephen A. Smith or Colin Cowherd labeled really controversial? Hardly ever. Yet, the American sports audience likes me more, according to this Morning Consult poll, than those guys. Why is that? I think it's because of the desperate demand for truth. You may not agree with me, but you respect the fact that I don't tiptoe up to my opinions. And in an age when there is so much inauthenticity, I think that is why OutKick, being smart, original, funny, and authentic, is continuing to dominate and skyrocket in our audience. And the New York Times suddenly deciding that masks don't work is yet another checkmark in the I should have listened to Clay Travis about COVID. We should never have shut down schools. We shouldn't have uh, decided between essential and non-essential businesses. We shouldn't have made people wear masks. We shouldn't have restricted your ability to go to playgrounds or go to hiking trails or go to your gyms. We shouldn't have done any of that. 
I was right for years arguing against all of that. And now we are being rewarded with massive influxes of readers and listeners for those reasons. Finally, the opposite of smart, original, funny, and authentic, Don Lemon has gone to his re-education camp and he now has returned to his perch at CNN on the morning show that is failing desperately, that nobody is watching, and the only reason why Don Lemon still has his job. And let me make this clear. I am opposed to cancel culture. I don't want anybody to get fired for their opinion, including Don Lemon. The only reason, however, that CNN did not fire Don Lemon is because he's gay and black. That's it. That's the only reason he still has a job. Because he is gay and black. Because if competency or intelligence or, frankly, viewership were the standard by which CNN was being judged, then Don Lemon, who has already been demoted from primetime, he's literally past his prime because he's no longer in primetime, and had his show taken away and became a morning show host, the only reason why he still has his job is because he's gay and black. And I think the reason why the Democrat Party is going to get absolutely walloped in 2024 is because identity politics without COVID as a shield is going to come falling down all around them and we are going to see a full reckoning that comes in the next presidential election. That's presuming that Joe Biden is able to run. If Joe Biden can't run and Kamala runs, we may get a Reagan-Mondale-style beatdown. I am Clay Travis. I got to go do some more interviews. I will be in New York City for the rest of the week. So I do not believe we will have Outkick the Shows unless, that is, crazy wild news happens on Thursday or Friday. This has been Outkick the Show. I appreciate all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been, like I said, the great time, the great place, the great audience of Outkick the Show. And thank you so much. Thank you so much to everybody out there. Uh, who has been pursuing and subscribing and commenting at uh, YouTube. I love all of you. Love all of you, but I love you YouTubers the most. See y'all.